All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to worship you in the word and guide us and lead us as we look at these verses. In your son's name, amen. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 4, going through verse 7. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So Paul is talking to these people and he says, you know, I say this, lest any man should beguile or you with enticing words. Now remember, we talked about this. When Paul would go into these cities, he would preach the gospel of grace, that they needed to know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for their sins, and that was all it took was you were saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then as soon as Paul would leave, and sometimes even before he would leave, other people would come into town and start teaching something else. Usually they waited for him to leave so that he wouldn't be able to directly uh, go with them. And one of the things that they would often come in saying was, well, Jesus, you know, Paul's message was really good, but he left out some stuff. And this is the same message that we hear in our day and age. The grace message is really good, but you need to be doing this, that, or the other thing. And these were the Judaizers. They would come in and go, you know, it's really good that you're following Jesus, but now you need to get circumcised and follow all the Jewish laws. And so they were coming in and, you know, we go, well, why would anybody want to do such a thing? Well, if you think about this, don't we all kind of like it when somebody tells us what it is we need to do to make God happy? You know, just follow these 10 steps and God will be pleased with you. You know, we have whole sections in bookstores called self-help books. Do these four things, 20 things, 100 things, and you will be successful in whatever it is that you're trying to be successful in. These guys would come in behind Paul and saying, you know, he says the just shall live by faith and you have to live by grace, but we're going to give you the rules. If you follow these rules, you're going to be okay with God. And the flesh and the people would go, oh, well, that sounds really good to me. I can, I can follow some rules. It really sounds good. You know, one, of, one of the hardest things about following Jesus is that it is by faith. And for each one of us, he's going to grow us at a different rate, a different way. There's going to be some things that some people can do and some people can't do. And Paul talked about that. He says, some of you can go to that meat market at the bottom of the temple and buy the meat offered to the idols. And have no problem with it. Why? Because you know they're just a hunk of stone that, that they killed it in front of. Because others of you cannot do that. Why? Because they probably worshipped that idol for a long time. And even though they're a Christian, they're still struggling with this meat was offered to something that I used to think was important. And Paul says, for that person to eat that meat, it would be wrong. For the person who has no problem, it's not a problem. <laughs> and we need to understand that. The enticing of the rules is so rampant all through Christianity. There's been churches that will tell you as, as to be a good Christian. And it's not so much now as it used to be, but there used to be these rules, you know, women don't wear pants, 
Don't put a lot of makeup on your face. You know, don't go to the movies. Don't play cards. <laughs> you know, don't, don't ever drink. You know, and they give you this long list of things. And you know what? Some of the stuff may or may not have been good advice to live by. But it wasn't going to make you righteous. It wasn't going to make you make God happy with you just following a bunch of rules. Because what's going to happen is these people following rules are going to stand up before God. And if they don't know Jesus Christ, his words are going to be, depart from me. I never knew you. You did a lot of good rules. You follow. You worked a really good life. And I don't know you. And Paul's saying, they entice you. Another enticement that was going on in that day and age was called Gnostic Christianity, and that was the idea that there was special knowledge. If you got in with the right teachers, they would teach you the right spiritual, special instructions and special words to say to God to get great power with God and, and the right words to meditate on that you could be very special and you'd have a special relationship with God because you got to know him in a way nobody else knew him. Again, you can understand why that might be an enticing idea. I really want to get to know this God, so I just got to go follow this teacher and learn the right way to approach God, the right words to say. You know, and we see pictures of that in our day and age, where people go, you know, you just got to do this for God and you have special power. You know, in our day and age, a lot of it on the news, on the TV will be, if you just speak it into existence, you have the power as a Christian to just speak like God does, speak things into existence. I want to tell you, that's not biblical. <laughs> All right? That is not biblical. It sounds good. It sounds wonderful. But we are not God. All right? And you'll hear them saying, well, you're sick because you said you were sick. Okay? Well, I'm sorry. People sometimes get sick. We're a flesh. <laughs> Just me denying that I'm sick does not make me healthy. <laughs> denying that I need my glasses and throwing them away will not make me be able to see better. <laughs> okay? There are ailments in our flesh that are ailments. Now, I could be praying for healing, and God may or may not heal. That's up to him. Now, for a while, it said that wherever Peter went and his shadow crossed people, they were healed. Paul, for a while, could, they said that they just took his handkerchiefs and people would get healed. And yet all over the scriptures, it talks about Paul saying, I prayed for so-and-so, and I had to leave him in, in such and such place because they were sick. And I couldn't stay there any longer. Paul, who had great healing abilities with, through the Spirit, had people that did not get healed. So if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, don't take it personally. It's not your fault. <laughs> all right? It's God trying to do something in somebody's life. It may be your life as well. You prayed for them, they didn't get healed. You might gonna go, are you still having the faith to follow me and pray for the next person and watch them get healed? You know, but we have this idea sometimes that God is you know, a genie in the lamp. If you just know the right words, you can make him do what it is you want him to do. That's not our God. And I'm gonna tell you one thing. If you try to put God in a box, he jumps right out of the box. <laughs> You know, or leaves the box. He does not stay in a box. Which is one of the reasons I believe Jesus did not heal people the same way every single time. When he healed blind people, one time he spoke on it. One time he picked up the, the ground, spit in it, and made a clay and put it in his eyes. Another time he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, 
He did things differently because I could almost picture out, well, Jesus healed three people this way, so the only way to heal somebody is to do this. God is a genie in the, ba- in the lamp. If we just do this, God is mandated to do this, and that is not true. God is not mandated to do anything that we want. <laughs> All right? Uh, and you know what? It's probably good that he doesn't. How many times have you prayed for something, really desired something, and thought it was the best thing that could possibly happen to you, and then a year later you look back and say, boy, God, I'm really glad you didn't give me that answered prayer. Man, that would have ruined my life. It would have made a mess out of everything. I am so glad that God sometimes answers no. I may not be glad he answered no in the middle of the prayer, and he first does it, but you know, you look back on it and you say, God, I am, thank you for saying no. Thank you for saying no. And we don't like no when we're in the middle of it. We didn't like no when we were kids. We didn't like no when we were teenagers. We didn't like no when we were young adults. And I'm supposing that even when you're 70 or 80 or 90, you still don't like the word no. <laughs> to be told that you can't do what you want to do <laughs> is not what you want to hear. Sometimes it's the best answer that you can have, though. So he had these people with Gnostics and Judaizers. He had some people with just the wrong picture of God. Have you ever struggled with the wrong picture of God? I have met so many people that have a picture of God as somebody up there with a great big baseball bat ready to hit people if they do anything. And it's kind of bizarre. I've got a God that loves me and wants me to try. I mean, he may discipline me if I go the wrong way, but... He's not standing up there saying, oh, you stuck your head out trying to do something, let me hit it. But you know, how many people have you met that have that picture of God? They are so afraid of God that they won't do anything for God. Or, how about this picture of God that's very prevalent in our daytime? Well, God is so loving, he allows anything, it doesn't matter what you want to do, God loves you, and you'll go to heaven. How many preachers are teaching that thought. How many unchristians are thinking there about God? In our day and age, well, well, we can do whatever we want. Homosexuality, adultery, fornication, they're all okay. Because God loves us. He would never discipline us for disobeying his rules. Well, why would he give us rules if he's not going to discipline us for disobeying rules? We got to keep this in mind. If there's rules, God expects them to be followed. All right? And he has all kinds of rules that he gave, uh, gave us. The Jews have counted 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Now, I have never personally tried to count all of them. I will take their word for it. <laughs> I'm not going to try to follow all 613 of the rules. But as God says, here's a rule to follow, I'm going to say, okay, God, I'm going to listen to you. you know, why did he give us rules? He expected them to be followed. But more of it, he gave us the rules to show us that we are sinners. Okay, our rules and the Ten Commandments, you know, the ten, ten Commandments alone are enough to tell us we're sinners. Anybody who thinks they keep all the Ten Commandments is lying to themselves, which is one of the, already broken one of the Ten Commandments just by telling them that they keep all the commandments. You know, and if you think about this, in case you ever think you've kept all the commandments, he gives you one last one at the very bottom, you shall not covet. You shall not want what somebody else has. <laughs> You know, that's kind of hard in our day and age with the advertising agencies that we have with billion-dollar 
enterprise to tell us that we want something that we never knew that we needed. <laughs> because we didn't need it until they told us that we needed it. <laughs> and then once we find out we need it, we really want it. <laughs> because we can't live without that egg, egg flipper that, does, that covers both sides of it because it's so hard to flip an egg. Yeah. <laughs> I love that commercial because it's like, <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> you know, but it's a great example of something that we need that supposedly to handle such an easy job. And how about the one where they boil the eggs by dumping them in a plastic container because it's so hard to peel the egg? You know, it's so hard to peel a, 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 a boiled egg that you've got to dump it in this plastic container and boil, uh, boil it. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the world we live in. The world is trying to give us this idea that you must have these things that you never knew that you needed. And we already have a bad enough problem with it without this industry, because your friend gets something, you go, man, I really, really need that. Why did they get it and I didn't get it? You know, and you know, we need to be very careful about this. The wrong picture of God, either too harsh or too lax. God has standards and he expects us to walk in them. He does expect us to walk. Not because our walk in those things are going to make us acceptable to him. But you know, it's much easier to walk in his, in his rules. To, God says, do not be drunk. What are the consequences of being drunk for most people? You know, well, number one, if nothing else, they spent a lot of money. <laughs> you know, they spent a lot of money getting drunk. You know, probably made a fool of themselves while they were drunk. <laughs> May have done damage on their way home to somebody or something. You know, and just have done damage to their body in general. Now, now, now is not being drunk going to get you to heaven? No. <laughs> but, you know, it saves a lot of hard, harshness and problems that you might have to deal with. Uh, you know, you shall not lie. <laughs> you know, and every one of us is tempted to lie. You know, did you do such and such? Well, if I tell the truth, they're going to be mad at me. If I don't, maybe they won't know that I did it. And then we lie. Now, if you lie too much, you get to the place where nobody believes you under anything. You, know, uh, you also have a problem when you lie of trying to remember what you said <laughs> so that you don't get caught. How many people have ever got caught? You told a lie, and then you forgot you told the lie, and you told them the <laughs> truth later on. You know, or you say another lie that contradicts the lie that you already told them. <laughs> and I go, hold it, you just said you, you said you did this, now you're saying you did this. Which one is it? Well, it was actually neither of them. <laughs> uh, you know, and we laugh about this, but you know, this is the problem. When we disobey God, there's consequence to disobeying God. Following him does not mean that he's going to say, oh, you're such a superstar, I'm going to reward you for following me. But his rules are to keep us out of trouble. <laughs> out of trouble. Now, we try to explain this to our kids, you know, as they're growing up. If you tell the truth, you're going to be in less trouble for telling the truth than if you lie to me. And yet we as adults lie frequently as well. <laughs> now, we teach our kids to tell the truth, and then we are bad examples a lot of times. <laughs> no, I can't come in today. I can't come in this afternoon for work because I'm sick as you're getting ready to leave for an extra day on your <laughs> vacation. You know, you're not sick, you just didn't want to go in. 
You know, instead of telling them, I just don't want to work tonight, you know, you tell them, no, I can't come in because, you know, we need to be very careful because, you know, people are watching us. People do watch us. So these are just some of the ways that we can be beguiled and, and enticed. There's many more. And then Paul goes on to say, for I, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joining and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul was doing a good job of keeping tabs on his churches. You know, he got reports. <laughs> and, you know, most of the reports he said, I'm getting with enjoyment. I love to hear and see what's going on with the people in this church. And he goes, your order, your, how you are standing, and your steadfastness, how you're established. One of the greatest things for a teacher, for a pastor, is to watch people grow. Because that's what lasts forever. To build a large number of people would be a wonderful thing. But I would rather have a small church of people growing in Christ than thousands of people with few of them growing in Christ. It is such a wonderful thing. And Paul's saying, I'm, I'm getting these reports, and I love getting the reports that I'm hearing from you. Now, he didn't so much like the reports he kept getting from Corinth. Every time he wrote Corinth, he had to be correcting them. <laughs> for lots of things. But these last couple letters, these are, these are his letters that he wrote at the end of, his, end of his career. He's waiting to be executed in Rome. And he's saying, I'm hearing good things about you. I'm hearing how God is using you and how you're growing in Christ. Be careful. Even though you're growing, be careful. And this is the warning that we always have to be careful of. Whenever we start going along good, God is blessing. Everything seems to be going good. We let our guard down, and next thing we know, we're flat on our face, kind of wondering, how in the world did I get tripped up by that sin? Well, you let your guard down. You, maybe you got stopped into, into the word. I met this gentleman last night who used to go to College Park uh, Baptist Church, and we got talking. I asked him where he was going to church, and he goes, well, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going, no, that's not a really good thing. You know, you know, why? He goes, well, I've had this problem and that problem. I'm going, you know, the times that you're having those problems is when you need to draw closer to the church, not further away. And he goes, I understand. I go, well, I'm just, I'm encouraging you to go back to a church. And you can't go back to the college park. Go back to church. And even as I say that church is not the end all of being righteous. But you know, it's a whole lot easier to be righteous when you're in church with God's people than when you're not in church, not hanging out with God's people. Because if you're not in church, you're probably not reading the word. And you're probably not praying. And if you're not doing any of these three things, you're getting further and further away from God and making more and more bad decisions. And not everybody, but you know, I've seen it over and over. Somebody stops coming to church. The next thing you, talk, you see them a year or two later, and they're in the middle of some sin, struggling. Coming to church is not going to keep you from all sins. Reading the Bible is not going to keep you from all sins. Praying is not going to keep you from all sins. Makes, makes the decision to stay away from sin a lot easier. <laughs> it really does. When you're with God, when you're fellowshipping with God and his people, haven't you noticed that the decisions are so much easier to make godly decisions? You're getting impacted. You're hearing his word. You're being changed and you start just living more righteous. 
Why? Because you're hanging out with the right people. And God is one of those people that you're hanging out with when you're hanging out with his people. And he changes you. you know, and this is what Paul's saying. I'm loving the reports I'm hearing about you. And I'm enjoying them. Even though I'm not with you, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm wanting to see you grow. Verse 6 says, And as you therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk you in them. How do we receive Christ Jesus? By faith. We come to him and we say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I accept your sacrifice. Come in and dwell. And he does. <laughs> and you know, then we walk. We walk with him. What is a walk? Our direction, our actions. He changes us, but you know, you have, to, you have to actually take some steps. You say, God, I'm waiting for you to tell me what to do. I'm going to stand here until you tell me and make me go where I'm supposed to go. You're going to be standing there an awful long time. You are not a robot that God is going to take control of and say, okay, you've got to take five steps this way, and then you're going to turn to the right and take 20 steps, and we're going to go to the left. That is not the way he works with us. We start taking steps with him. Now, if you start going the wrong way with God, you're going to start getting that little conscience prick saying, uh, nope, this isn't the right way. Don't do this. If you start walking with him and he says, okay, this is what you're going to do. Every once in a while, you might even hear him say, do this. Talk to this person. You know, there's times when I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I go, I've got to turn around because that person needs something. <laughs> and it's not just compassion. It's just God is, I'm ready to go. <laughs> You all know, I've, I've told you, I, I'm a very much a go. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm going up, i got to go back. <laughs> Should have listened to you, God, when you said stop, but I didn't. <laughs> i got to turn around and go back. We need to be looking and walking. God dwells in us. He will guide us. He will lead us. He will tell us which way to go. We're told that he speaks in a still, small voice. And sometimes we just get so busy that we don't listen to that still small voice. You know, many times I've come an hour later, I'm going, oh, I should have done this. <laughs> a little late by the time I come to the conclusion. I'm really slow sometimes. <laughs> Most of us are. <laughs> because we get so busy, we don't listen. And sometimes we just need to slow down and be, God, where, where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to present this? How do you want me to say things? When God puts you in a position where you're able to share with somebody. Now, be very careful that you don't get your, your gospel message so scripted that it's not God speaking, it's just you passing out a script. Now, we want to be very careful of that. Now, how many of you have ever been in a restaurant where the waitress or waiter is brand new? You know, and not just incompetent, but they're, every word that they have is following the script. There's no personality at all. It is just, this is what I was told to say. I'm going to say it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember when I first started waiting tables, it was every single table heard the same exact words from me because I had a script to follow, and I followed it. <laughs> okay. Now, over time, I started putting some personality in it. A script is a good place to start. Learn how to give the gospel message. We did that with the Truth Project. I've done it uh, with, uh, yeah, 
The Way of the Master had a very good script. And the fun thing about their script is that people followed the script without even knowing what the script was. <laughs> really, really amazing. They, you knew they were going to answer one of two ways and everything, and it was, it was a really good. First time I've ever had a script where people followed the script. You know, and they didn't know the script. <laughs> uh, but you know, you had to put your personality in it. It can't just become mechanical. Let God speak through you. The Word of God is written by 40 different authors, human authors, but God is the author of the whole thing. Each one of them have a personality that comes through the writing, but it is God's words that are, that are written down. So we want to keep this in mind that God wants to use you, and he wants to use your personality in his presentations. Some people are very simple. They're going to keep it very simple. Some people are more academic, and they will get more complex in their descriptions, which means the simple people go to the simple people, and the, the academic goes to the academic-type-minded people. Because the academic person would look at a simple person and go, well, you don't even know what you're talking about. Go away. Now, the academic person talking to a simple person goes, so you're way over my head. I don't want you to, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. So, you know, we each have people we can talk to that we're going to be specially equipped to talk to. So never think that you can't be used by God. God's got people that are just perfect for you to talk to, to minister to, to reach out to. Then he says, in this last verse we're looking at, being rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, and have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Being rooted and built upon. What is our foundation? Jesus Christ. His salvation. Now, the gospel message is so simple that three and four-year-olds can understand the gospel message. We're sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus died for us. Pretty simple message, isn't it? You know, a kindergartner and below can understand it. But you know, it's also so complex that you can be studying it for the rest of your life. You can study the gospel message for the rest of your life and still not fully understand just the gospel message. You know, just the gospel message can be so complex. And then start talking about how do I live godly. He says, you're rooted in Christ. And then you have your knowledge built upon. How do you do that? By being taught. Now, I've heard lots of people tell me, and when I'm witnessing, well, I don't go to church because I don't need to go to church. Well, God tells us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, and so much more as we see the day approaching. Why? Because there's only a limit that you can teach yourself. I'm going to tell you right now, there's only a limit. For some people, it's greater than others. But I've already told you, I listen to pastors all the time. Why do I listen to pastors all the time? Because I want other perspectives brought into my mind. I want to see how they're presenting material. And I want to be taught. There's times when I just want to be taught. And I know how to study the Word of God. But I do not want to get locked into what do I know about the Word of God. Because there's always a place where you're going to plateau out. Again, we go back to some it's lesser, some it's greater. My job as a pastor is to keep pushing you to the next step on the plateau. Because we will get to the place where, well, I'm really happy. I'm happy on step two. I don't need to go to step three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. I really don't want to go to step 100. I'm happy here on step two. Our job is to learn to grow. 
be challenged. I can't tell you how many people I have met that have been in churches all their lives that know practically nothing about the Word of God. Because all they want to know is real simple stuff, and their pastors probably just taught them simple stuff. And they're happy. They're happy sucking on their bottle of milk at 60 years old, <laughs> wondering why they're not teachers, wondering why they can't stand up for themselves and with God, because they're, give me my milk. And for many of them, they don't even want milk. They want watered-down milk. You know, give me my water. Give me mostly water with just an eyedropper of milk in it, and I'll be happy. Peter said that, you know, at a time when you should be teaching meat, you're still on milk. And we've talked about this. So many Christians are little infants not even crawling infants. They're just laying there after years. And in the physical world, if you, had a ba- if you had a child at 60 years old who was just laying on the floor, not crawling, not walking, number one, you'd be probably taken to jail for child abuse, but, <laughs> but you'd know that you have a problem. And yet there are many Christians who are living a life where they're just that infant laying around unless they're picked up and moved hand-fed a bottle. And that means that somebody had to call them and invite them to church even just to get them to come to church a lot of times. We need to look to grow. Look to be taught. Now we can teach ourselves a lot in the Word of God, but everybody knows that it's a lot easier when somebody can help you understand what you're reading. Then once you start understanding it, then you can start feeding yourself a lot more. But you never get to the place where you don't need the body of Christ. Because when you go through hardships and trials, you need people that can say, we love you, we're going to accept you for who you are. Because the world is not going to make life easy for you if you're trying to follow God. Now, if you want to try to follow God on your own without a church, you will fail. You may last for a while, but you will fail. I have seen it over and over again. People pull away from the church and they stop worshiping God at some point. Some last longer than others. You know, some people will say, well, I'm listening to my pastors on the radio. Well, that's all good, but how are any of them really helping you when you're really hurting? I had one pastor on the radio. He said, you know, I had a guy that told me that he wasn't coming to church because he didn't need a pastor, and then he came for me help, and he said, well, go to your people that you've been listening to. <laughs> you know, and that's a little harsh, but I understand what the pastor was saying. You know, how many times do you probably don't even understand, even in a church our size, do we get people who have never come to this church looking for all kinds of different help? Physical, spiritual, uh, all kinds of different help. And it's like, well, why do you need us now? <laughs> you know, I've tried to be nice to them, but my, my mind is, why are you needing us now? We have not been a church for you. You haven't needed a church, but now that you have some need, you need the church all of a sudden. And I understand that, and I want to help them and try to draw, draw, draw them in. But, you know, our goal should be we need one another. Every single person in this room needs every per, everybody else in this room. If nothing else, just to know that there are other people following God. You know, Elijah goes up to God and says, I'm the only one following you, God. Everybody else is following Baal. 
And God says, no, I got 5,000. Go back and do what I told you to do. <laughs> you know, quit having a pity party. And I want to tell you right now, God always has a remnant of people. Always. When you feel alone, get yourself back in church. <laughs> you know, if you're feeling alone, get into church more often, whatever it might be. You know, we, we only meet here five times a week. You know, you've got plenty of times to come and meet people <laughs> that are following God. You know, I had one person told me that she, she's too busy to come to church. I'm going, you're busy Monday, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. <laughs> uh, well, no. I go, well, you have time to come to church. You know, we, need to, we need one another. We need the body. We need the body of Christ. If you were to take and cut your finger off, the, off your hand, the finger is not going to survive. Your hand would be deformed, your hand would probably get infected, and your finger would die. No, would die. If you cut yourself off from God's body, you will die. You will not be fed, you will not, be, not get the spirit. And Paul is saying, be taught and abound with thanksgiving. You know, being thankful is probably the greatest thing that you can have because God is in charge. In Thessalonians, we're told, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. you know, be thankful. Why? Because God's in charge. <laughs> you know, I love the fact that God's in charge. You can make me very thankful because I know that whatever happens to me, God's going to work it for good. And that it didn't happen by accident. Try, try being in evolution and being excited about life. Anything that happened to you just randomly happened to you. There's no plan in it whatsoever. There's no forethought in it whatsoever. You just had a whole random string of good things. Or, what's really bad, you had a whole random string of bad things. With no controlling no control anywhere up there, you're going to live a pretty miserable life overall. I love that God is in charge. I love that there is a God. I love that he comes and indwells us and that he has a plan. And that gives me the opportunity to be thankful. Even when I don't understand his plan, I can be thankful. I may go, and I've told you, sometimes my prayer is, God, I just don't understand what's going on, but I know that you're going to work it for good, and I know that you've got a plan. And I say, okay, God, <laughs> help me be thankful. Help me stay focused on you. Very important for us to look at this, being thankful. As Christians, we should be very thankful for what goes on in our life. Because usually when you look back, you go, oh, you know, that seemed really bad when it was happening, but look, it made me stronger, or it made this happen to me, or this happen to me. God has a plan. And you know what? When you get to heaven, you're not going to even think about anything that was bad on this earth anyway. You're going to get your rewards. You're going to be seeing Jesus, and you're going to see the Father, and everything will be fine. Be everything that you went through on this world is going to be nothing, and you'll have your rewards from everything that you did on this world, and you'll be happy for eternity in a place that you're not going to lose any of your rewards. All right, we're going to close in prayer and sing some songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to listen and worship you. Lord, help each of one of us learn to 
trust in you in a stronger and stronger way. Help us to be joyful in, in your life. Help us to see you. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't know you, that they will admit that they're a sinner, recognize you as their Savior, and have their life changed, and then start following you in the Word and in a church. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.